of this wonderful day. God, we ask that you would bless our hearts and our minds today, that God, we would be open and receptive to the word of God, that we'd be sensitive to your word, to your spirit. Speak to us today, God, as only you can. We thank you for such a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be in the house of God, to be with people of like precious faith, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody turn around, shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're happy to see them in the house of the Lord, even if you're not. Praise the Lord. Last Sunday, I uh, endeavored to finish a Bible study uh, titled, Three Things Jesus Did Not Do, and I did not complete it. And uh, so this morning, I'll start off with a little bit of review, and then would like to finish that Bible study. Uh, the, the last part, the third part of that uh, is very important, uh, in my opinion, so I want to talk about uh, that this morning. We read uh, three scriptures, or we read two scriptures, and we'll get to the third one today, last week about three things that Jesus did not do. We all understand that God has all power. We all understand that God has all ability. But there are times when God chooses not to do something. And there are three instances of that in the life of Jesus that we begin to talk about. There are times that God restrains his power. And the first one that we talked about is found in Mark chapter 5. The Bible says uh, he could there do no mighty work. Because of their unbelief. So the unbelief of people in Jesus' hometown uh, prevented him from doing mighty works. Jesus could not do what he intended to do. He could not do what he wanted to do in the life of people because they did not believe in him. And I wonder sometimes how much God would do for us if we, could, if we could believe. If we could just get to the point where we believe. Society is teaching us, I read uh, even this past week, a high school student has uh, started a blog. I don't understand what a blog completely is. I don't know how they work. I don't want one whatever it is, but I read one. I think it's just like where you can go and say things. Not everything that somebody writes is worth reading. And not everything that's a thought of somebody's mind is worth listening to. I have thoughts in my mind that nobody needs to know about. They, they come and they go, and they're not stuff of substance and uh, but anyway, we have we in society have created this outlet for people that in moments of frustration, moments of aggravation, uh, in times of depression or loneliness or whatever the emotion, uh, people spout off, in my opinion, their thoughts, views, and emotions. And a lot of it's not worth reading, but I read one uh, this past week, just stumbled across it. The high school student, uh, I think is in the 10th or 11th grade, that wrote this most of one page uh, of his blog on the concept or what he believed about God. It was obviously a very confused young man. He did not uh, have any kind of upbringing and uh, basically concluded that God does not exist, 
that it's just a figment of old people's imagination that they had to have God back when times were tough. And so that they used God to uh, pray to that made them feel better because times were tough, they needed something, and it just made them feel better. That is society. That's what society is, is bringing about. I don't know if you heard uh, several months ago, I actually heard the audio clip. I actually heard, listened to the audio clip. Uh, there is a big anti-bullying push that's being pushed by President Obama's administration. And he has this man that is the leader of this anti-bullying uh, initiative. He goes out and speaks to schools and colleges and groups of people and, and, and talks about bullying people, why we shouldn't bully, yada, yada, yada. In this man's speech, he says, we need to get over all of the, and a bunch of words I don't use, stuff that's in the Bible. That the Bible is old, it's outdated, it is a document, didn't call it the Bible after that or the Word of God, he just said it is a document that endorses killing and slavery and hatred. And we need to get over what the Bible says. I listened to that speech, just my heart sank. I actually feared for his life if God has more mercy and grace than I do. Because had I been God, zap. Right there on the stage, everybody would have stood back and all and said, huh, he shouldn't have never said that. See, to me it solved the problem. God's different, and I thank him for that. But I sat there and I said, like, this and these kids, this 1,000, 1,200 high school students were just cheering and just excited and elated at the speech this man was giving. 11 students, 11 students who were Christians who believed in God got up and walked out. As they were walking out, this man who is on an anti- bullying speech said I'm sorry if I offended you no not really you need to be offended this is what society is bringing this is what society is becoming this is not something that's going to happen in the future it's happening now and our kids are being taught through media through friends at school through all of these avenues that you can't believe in God. Don't trust in God. And so we as the people of God need to reinforce not only to them, but to ourselves. We need to reinforce to ourselves that God is trustworthy. That God is God and He is who He says He is. And that we can believe in Him. One of the things that Jesus faced in His ministry in his hometown, is that people knew him the best. They had gotten comfortable with him. They had gotten common with him. And they said, because of our relationship, because of how close we are, because we know your family history, we know your brothers and we sis your sisters, we know your mom and your dad, we know who you are, we know all about you, because we've gotten so comfortable, we just don't believe in you anymore.
we can't trust you. We don't believe you are who you say you are. And so it is imperative in our relationship with God and the relationship our family has with God that we don't allow unbelief to seep in. Don't allow society to tell you that God does not exist. Don't allow society to tell you movies and music and all this stuff. I've been uh, heartbroken by, and I'm not, I guess I shouldn't even say it, never mind. I'm not going to say it, I'll get in trouble, and Lord knows I don't need any trouble. But in so many ways, things come to tell us, and, and Satan isn't always blatant and open. He didn't walk, Satan didn't walk up to Eve with a pitchfork and horns coming out of his head, hissing and all of that stuff, saying, I'm going to tempt you. The Bible says it was a subtle temptation. Satan just kind of slid in under the radar. And a lot of, and we don't, I, I do the same thing. We all go through it. We need to make sure that we always believe in God and that he doesn't become so common to us. Oh yeah, God, that we quit believing in him. That we quit trusting in him. And I read the scripture in Hebrews 12 and 1. Therefore, uh, seeing we are also encompassed about with so uh, great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. In the sin, the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And we talked about it last week that the sin is singular. There is one sin that Paul is writing about here and most people, most commentaries believe it is unbelief. It is the sin that so easily besets us. Unbelief can cause us to lose more of what God wants than anything else. We don't have to pray because of our lack of faith so much because the Bible says to every man is given a measure of faith. Maybe I'm out of bounds here a little bit, but the Bible talks about a gift of faith in the, in the, in the gifts of the Spirit, but I don't see a gift of belief. If we can't believe, we lose our belief. It besets us and it causes us to lose so much. And then the second thing that Jesus did not do is found in John chapter 16. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus did not teach everything he wanted to teach. He could not say everything he wanted to say. And this was because his disciples were not ready. They were not mature enough. Now they had spent three and a half years with Jesus. They had seen all of the miracles. They had been on the stormy sea. They saw the demoniac of Gadara. They had seen the, the loaves and fishes multiplied twice. They had seen all the great miracles. They saw Lazarus brought forth out of the dead. They saw the widow of Nain's son resurrected. They saw Jairus' daughter healed. They saw the, all the demons cast out. They saw all of this. Yet when Jesus said that if you destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up, they didn't believe him. They didn't understand, they had not matured to that point where they could understand everything that Jesus was wanting to say. So Jesus did not get an opportunity to say everything that he wanted to say. And I would to God in our life, I would to God in my life and in your life that we could grow and mature enough to receive all of the words that God wants to speak to us. 
after studying this lesson, I begin to think, God, what is it that you would like to tell me that I'm just not able to receive? What word would God like to give me that would help in my life, that would benefit my life, that would benefit my relationship with God, but I'm not strong enough, I'm not where I can hear it? Where will the will of God take me that I don't want to listen to? Several months ago, somebody walked up, and I don't want to give anybody any false hope here. I walked up and said, Brother Merrill, do you feel like God is calling you to go take a pastorate somewhere else? Become a pastor of your own church. First of all, I didn't necessarily think it was their business. Second of all, I questioned their motive. Do you want me to leave? <laughs> Are you sick of dealing with me and you want me to go? Is that the motive behind it? You know, I really believe that God is wanting you to leave and go off to Connecticut or something. And I said, no, I, I, don't, I don't feel like that at all. I feel like that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I was watching the expression on their face to see if I could see a grimace or some chagrin on them, but, and I didn't. But it made me think, what if? What if God was to say, Merrill, I need you to pack up and go off to such and such? Would I want to do that? No, probably not. I don't want to. What is it that God would tell us? What is it in the will of God? Where is it that God wants our life to go? But we cannot hear it. He will not say it because we will not receive what he wants to say. What blessing would God give if we would just be willing to receive what he has to say. I know in my case, a lot of times I, I use that or I had that don't want to kind of, but God, I, you know, everything's going good and, you know, I don't want to. But what is it that God would say if we would listen? And then the third thing that's really what I've come to talk about today it's probably, in my opinion, one of the most heartbreaking moments in the Bible. In all of the scripture, through all of the hard times and through all of the adversities that people went through, even in the life of Jesus, I really believe this is one of his most heartbreaking moments because in, the, in this scripture setting we're about to read, Jesus wept, he cried. And there was just a few times in the scripture that the Bible talks about Jesus weeping. And Jesus' emotions uh, getting the best of him all throughout uh, the, the process of him being betrayed and all of that. The Bible doesn't really record a lot of weeping. So this, this, this in my mind, is one of those moments in his life that was heartbreaking for him. It was beyond just a casual statement that he made. But this something that gripped the very heart of God. And it's found in Matthew 23 and verse 37 when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you together? And I'm skipping through some of that. I'd gather, how often would I have gathered you together? But look at the last statement. 
you wouldn't do it. You would not do it. Here is Jesus lamenting over the city of Jerusalem. It is his gesture of love that I have come to gather you together, to place you under a wings of protection, to place you in a place of provision, to put you in a ped- on a pedestal, to put you in a place where you would want not and I would take care of everything. And I am willing, but you were not. And it is important to notice in, the, uh, in this scripture setting the, the passion that Jesus is speaking about. This is just not a casual statement as Jesus is headed to his crucifixion. He's being sincere, he's being genuine, he's being real. That I, there's a, I've had a desire here, I've, I've had a, a purpose here, I've had a want in this, in this whole time on earth. And, and ever since your uh, establishment under, under King David, I've wanted to take Jerusalem and gather you together. But you, city of Jerusalem, you just won't do it. You won't listen to what I say. You killed the prophets. Everybody that comes to you with the word of God, you've killed them. And now Jesus is standing on the mountain and he's overlooking the city of Jerusalem and he's, he's no doubt going through his mind are, are prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and Elijah and Elisha and all of these people. And, and he's thinking of the opportunities that the city had to think about that and relationship with God like they've never known to, to be unified with God and he's thinking about that and, and he's looking at all of the names of the people maybe going down a mental road call of all of the prophets that have been killed in that city and killed over that city and here is standing on the top of a mountain and he's saying I came to you personally I came to you myself I've sent my prophets and they did no good you just killed them so I'm coming to you And I came to you to bring you together to me. You still won't. And now I'm headed in there to be killed by you also. And so Jesus begins to cry and to weep over a city that refuses refuses him and the love that he is trying to show. Jesus might be a little bit frustrated at this moment. That all of the affection that he has tried to show Jerusalem is only met with coldness. He uses the word how often implying that this is more than just one attempt. I didn't show up one time and you said no, but how many times have I showed up? Jesus doesn't give a number how many times maybe even God, uh, not lost count, but it's been so many times he doesn't uh, really want to repeat the number of times that he showed up. Together, Israel together, together, Jerusalem together, and they just completely refused, just said, no thanks. No thanks, God. God didn't show up to gather them together for their hurt. God didn't show up to make them slaves and be a taskmaster. God showed up to gather them together, he says, as a hen doth her chickens, put them under her wings to protect them from the storms and, and from damage and from hurt and from predators and, and the chicken will protect them and that's what God was trying to do and simply wouldn't. Kind of brave on somebody's part. Do you know that? And I know this is a little bit of a, of a uh, heavier Bible study and 
but, but just kind of brave on somebody's part. For God to show up to your life repeatedly. Say, man, I really want to do something for you. And I want to bless you. Let me take a side trip real quick. I've gotten sick of the, the uh, denominational world with all this blessing stuff. Everybody needs a blessing. That was a side journey real quick. Understand that God blesses people, but it's the loaves and fishes mentality to some people. But here's God genuinely wanting to bless somebody. I, God, am showing up to your life, and I am going to protect you. I am going to provide for you. I am going to save you. The Satan ain't going to get his free hand, his little grubby hands on you. I'm going to make sure nothing happens to you except that it comes through me. Nobody's going to attack you. Nobody's going to overthrow you. You're going to be the center of blessing. Everybody in the world is going to look at you and say, my goodness, look how blessed that people are. And that's because they serve God. So I want to serve God because they're blessed. And when God shows up and he says all of this stuff to Jerusalem, they look at him and say, nah, no thanks. Not interested in you, God. I got this under control. It's a bold statement. It's a very bold statement, and I wonder, even in my life, I wonder in our lives, I wonder in the life of the congregation that we call grace, how many times God would show up and do something magnificent and do something great and gather us together in a spirit of unity and gather us together for a cause and a purpose, and we say, ah, nah, Got something going on this week, God. Can you maybe come back? Don't mean to sound cynical. I was telling somebody this morning, uh, my nature is to be so, so cynical. And I'm sorry. I apologize if I sound that way. But it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. When I have seen it in my short life, God show up in such magnificent fashion to somebody and want to do something great for them, and they just look at him and say, no, thanks. And it's, it's, it's frustrating not only to, to me or to somebody to watch that, but it's frustrating to God. And then God, Jesus, in this, in this scripture setting, he tells them why he can't bless them. Just simply because you wouldn't. You just simply would not. It begs the question, it begs the question, would not what? What is it they would not do? Would they not uh, acknowledge God at all? Absolutely not. They had temples and 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 priests and Pharisees and Sadducees. They would not, they they did all of that. But when it came down to, to serving God, to for living for God, to, to commit to God, to uh, do the will of God and live the commandment of God the way God said it, they just simply wouldn't. Here's what strikes me, and this is what's so sad about this, this scripture, is that Jesus walks off, he's done. 
And, you know, the Bible says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Believe that 100%. And we know that God's mercy is renewed every morning. We know he's always available. And, and you can't go too far for God and all that stuff. But here is an example in the New Testament in the life of Jesus where he simply just realized that it's over. I'm done. Is it possible that God gets to the point where he realizes the invitation that he is extending will not be accepted? No matter what he does, these people are not going to, to accept what I'm offering or that the time of that invitation, because of his will and his plan, time has to go on. The time of that invitation is open, is now closed. It's over with and done. And now there's nothing else I can do for them. And God walks away. He walks away. I remember hearing a story about a man that served God many years when he was a young man. And lived for God was, man, just buck wild and all of these things and got married and job and kids started coming along. And the next thing you know, according to his own testimony, he started missing church mostly on Wednesday night. It's too much work, too much family stuff. And, and the next thing you know, there's a couple Sunday mornings that, that he couldn't be there. You know, it, just too much going on. But, you know, you know, he was doing pretty good. This is back in the days of Sunday night service. And, but Sunday nights, for the most part, he made it. And, Man, before long, you know, those conferences on Monday morning was so tough. And, and so he would stay home and, and, and on Sunday night and try to go one of the two services on Sunday. And, and before you know it, he was completely gone. And the further he strayed away from God, the worse he got. By his own testimony, he became a, a, a very bad man. Lost his wife, lost his family, had been married several times after that, and on and on his life goes. And when he became an older man, he decided that he needed to get his life right with God, but he really felt no conviction, he really felt nothing, he just knew in his mind he needed to get his life right with God. So he found a church in the city he was living in, and he would come up to the front and pray, and uh, out of his own testimony, no, no tears would flow, he really didn't feel bad. Or anything, he was just trying his best to get his life right with God. And for months, this went on, and he would sit on the back row and at altar service. It was the same routine, and the church did everything they could, prayed with him, and you know they besieged the throne, and on and on and on it went. He got up one night during testimony service. Back, y'all remember those? He asked the pastor if I could, if he could testify. And, Pastors were sure. So the man walked all the way down front, straight to the pulpit. He turned around, and as is, and I love the custom, the young people were sitting on the front, like Brother, uh, I just lost his name, said last week, you're in the splash zone. He looked at all the young people, and he said, young people, serve God with everything you've got, and don't ever Turn your back on him. He said, I'm standing here tonight as a testimony. Every time the church doors are open, forget the job. You come to church. Don't worry about the weekend at the fishing camp. You come to church. 
He said, it started out just a few little things like that, but then before I know it, I was gone, and they said, I've lived a bad life. And he said, the worst part of it is now. Out of his own mouth, he said these words. I have become a reprobate. God cannot save me now. And I am destined for hell no matter what. Not because God lacked power but because I cannot receive what God wants to give me. pastor said that man turned around and walked out of the church that night and never came back and a short time later passed away. Never regaining a relationship with God because the time of his visitation was over. And he was smart enough and knew enough about God to realize that God, like the city of Jerusalem, had come to him so many times over the years and he would not, he would not, he would not and it didn't affect God's power but it affected the mind's, the man's mentality it affected his mind and he said, if it, and his, he developed a mindset that I cannot receive from God anymore and so God was powerless basically in this man's life that's of his own testimony now whether the guy was a reprobate I don't know and I'm not saying he was but that was his own testimony but he, I do know this one thing. The pastor said the man walked out of that church that night and never came back. And as far as he knows, he was not right with God the day he died. Having testified that over my life, God came to me so many times in so many ways to call me, to woo me back, to bring me back into a relationship, to bring me back to a place of rightness with God. And I wouldn't do it. I just told God, no. And I know not everybody in here is going to go to that extreme. And, and that's, I'm just trying to use it as an illustration. How many times does God come to our lives and we just simply wouldn't? We just simply wouldn't. In 70 A.D., in 70 A.D., Titus came, the Roman emperor, brutal man, brutal man, and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Just 40 years after Jesus made that statement, 40 years after Jesus stood on top of the mountain, less than 40, somewhere around 40, 35 to 40 years after Jesus stood on top of that mountain, and wept over Jerusalem saying you wouldn't, Titus stood on top of that mountain and watched the smoke of this city ascend into the clouds. History tells us, the Bible doesn't record the destruction of Jerusalem, but history tells us that they began to crucify people, and it got to the point where they were crucifying so many Jewish people in Jerusalem, they ran out of trees to build crosses. They were having to recycle crosses. They not only ran out of trees, they ran out of places to put them. Oh, what would have happened on that day had Jerusalem, had they realized the day of their visitation was, was, was there, it was their last chance. And if they would have given themselves to God and rather say crucify him, if they had, the mobs had screamed release him. He's our Messiah. Oh, what would have changed in their life? We have to be willing to receive what God 
has for us to recognize the day of our visitation, to recognize that the presence of God is calling us and beckoning us and pulling on us to live a life, to serve Him, to, to love Him, and to know who He is. And in all of these three things, in Jesus uh, not saving a city, in Jesus and in His uh, not teaching everything that He wished to teach, in Jesus' moments of not doing mighty works, the reason these things happen is not because God lacked power. It's because humanity didn't receive or humanity couldn't do our part. I heard a sermon several years ago um, taught, uh, was preached by Brother Tony Roberts, and it's, the title of it is really stuck in my mind. And he preached a sermon. He said, man's part in a miracle. Man's part in a miracle. And if, if you go back and you look throughout the Word of God, and he brought it out so wonderfully that, that, if, that if you study the miracles that God performed from creation all the way through the Word of God, even into Revelation, they're all done for man. Man has a part in every miracle that is ever performed. God created the world for man. God created the universe for man. God created life for man. God did everything for man. And, and all throughout the word of God, every healing had a man that was sick. And every blinded eye that was open was because somebody was blind. Every time God provided something, it was because somebody was in need. Every time he protected, it was because somebody was in danger. Throughout the word of God, all of the miracles that God performed had something to do with humanity, had something to do with mankind. It's never, the lack of miracles is never because of his lack of power. And I'm not saying all of these things to be, uh, to be heavy or to be hard or to be uh, condemnatory or any of those things. I want us to realize and to understand God doesn't lack power. God doesn't lack. It's humanity. And if we can do our part, you know the cool thing about God? You know God's cool. Anybody knew God was cool? Not sure what that means anymore. God says there's two parts to, to him moving in our life. Part A is God. He's got the power and he's got the ability. Part B is us. We just have to receive and do our part. We, I say we, let me rephrase that. I have a tendency to want to help God with his part. Anybody ever heard of somebody doing that? I know nobody else has ever done that. You want to help God with his part. God, let me help you out. God doesn't need help. But you know the cool thing about God, what makes him so cool, is he said, I'll help you with your part. I'll do my part. And then when you can't hardly do your part, I'll help you. So what you, where you're failing and where you lack in your part, I'll pick up the slack. So he does all of his and most of ours. Makes God cool. Because for all of our failures, 
And for all of these times that we brought out that God wishes to do something and, and we can't believe the, the, the word of God records the story of the, the Roman soldier that said, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. God will pick up your slack so that he can do what he wants to do in your life anyway. We just have to be willing to do our part, to believe all we can. If it ain't enough, God's got the rest. We just have to do the best we can. If I don't have enough belief, if I don't have enough faith, God's going to pick up the slack. But what I have, I have to put out there. If I don't understand everything that God's doing, we can't. But I'll put all of my mind to what God is doing, and he'll pick up the slack. The point is, we have to do what we can. I would to God that unbelief would give way to faith. It would give way to belief. That we could all leave this room this morning and say, I may not be able to believe enough to receive from God what he wants me to receive. I can't do it. But I will believe all that I can knowing that God will take care of the part I can't do. God never asks us to do things we can't do. I was talking this morning to Brother Vic and a few about my inability to sing. I honestly can't. One day, Sister Bunch brought out, I will be able to in heaven. I'll be the loudest guy because I love to sing. I'm not talented. If I sang, most of you would backslide. Hopefully not. Just a joke, just a joke. So God's not going to ask me to get up and sing a solo. If he does, God bless you folks is all I can say. But it's something that he knows I'm not gifted or talented with. It's something I can't do. So he's not going to ask me to do that. God doesn't ask you to do something you can't do. If God asks you to do something, that means he knows you can. You may not believe you can, but he knows you can. And you say, well, Brother Merrill, I just don't know that I have enough. Don't worry about the enough. Do all that you can. Believe all that you can. Trust all that you can. Have faith all that you can. Pray all that you can. Fast all that you can. And you say, well, I can only fast one day a month because of this. That's fine. Do all that you can. God will help you with the part you can't do. What God doesn't help us with is the part we don't want to do. God won't help us with that part. We can, they just don't want to. You ever had that conversation with one of the kids, go clean up your room? I don't want to. How many times did you go clean it for them? Because they didn't want to. 
Now, if they were laying there with both their legs and cast, you might clean it for them because they can't. But if they just look at you 10 years old and you walk up and say, now, go clean your room, son, that thing's a pigsty. I don't want to. Do it anyway. So it's not about whether they could or couldn't. They just didn't want to. And we don't always help them when they don't want to. But we'll help them when they can't. And it's the same thing with God. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All power is given unto me. God has the power to do anything. God has the power to force people to serve him. God has the power to make you do what he wants you to do. God has the power to make you change your attitude. God has the power to make you change your mindset. He could. But in Philippians 2 and 8, the Bible says he humbled himself. He subjects himself to to humility and saying, I'm not going to force this to happen. But I will empower them. I will give them the ability. They will have the strength. I'm going, we have all power now. The same power that Jesus had, we have to become overcomers, to be what God wants us to be. We just have to engage it. We just have to engage it. And I hope that through this, uh, this, these two Sundays that, that you understand and, and maybe it's, it's come to your mind that, that I can do that I can do more, that I can do something about the circumstance I'm in, that I can do something about the situation I'm in, because God has the power. And because he has the power, when I do what I can, then he will do mighty works. Then he will teach me things that I don't know now. And he will save the city or save those around me and those friends and those family members that I love. We just have to do our part this morning. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. I appreciate it. And um, God bless you so much. Don't go anywhere. We have a second service to be starting in just a few minutes. Thank you very much. Dismissed. Shake somebody's hand. Be friendly.